Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on today's episode... We'll be talking to one mom who will be sharing her hero with us and how she's growing with grief. And we'll also be talking about a concept that dates back to Plato and Aristotle, how do we learn and grow? How do we learn and grow? All that and more right here, The Gifted Life, thegiftedlife.org. Here on The Gifted Life podcast, we want to introduce you to our newest friend, Autumn Jackson. Hey, Autumn. Hi, how are you guys? We are so happy to have you here on The Gifted Life. Um, we do some research before we we bring a guest on and we are, are moved by your testimony. And we just all love that you use your story to try to help others. It kind of sounds like that's just who you are. Well, it's the way I found that worked best for me personally in helping to both carry my grief and hopefully help others process what losses they may have while providing benefit through organ donation. And we know you are the mom of a precious hero, which we'll be talking about in our hero segment a little bit more, but we want you to talk about that and and your journey to get you where you are today. So can you give us some some background? Yes. In 2018, my husband and I and our two sons, who at that time were about three and six, uh, we had a daughter and she was amazing. Her name was Riley Marie. And she was, I swear, the easiest baby. Um, She was always happy when she'd cry. She'd cry for like five minutes. And that was usually just when she was hungry. She slept well. She immediately latched onto her brothers. They loved hanging out with her. They loved just showing her everything. They'd bring Legos to her. And it was constantly a battle of, nope, you can't give that to the baby yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she was just this ray of sunshine in our family. We had previously, let's see, I'd previously been married and was actually widowed in 2015. And so me and my two boys had lost somebody special in our life. And then as part of this family, we were forming with my second husband. She was just kind of the cherry on top and uh, brought a lot of happiness into our family. And unfortunately, when she was three months old, she got sick and we all thought it was a cold. The doctors thought it was a cold. Everybody thought she was just dehydrated and they wanted to just double check. They thought maybe she could have meningitis if she wasn't quite showing the right signs. And we were in the hospital to get a spinal tap done so they could check for meningitis when she coded and they were able to get her heart going again and get her stabilized, but she never regained consciousness. So at three and a half months, we talked to the doctors who were caring for her about organ donation and she was able to donate her heart, her liver and her kidneys. So Autumn, you know, it's, it's amazing. You brought into uh, your, the fact that you were a recent widow as well. So 
So the the amount of grief that you were carrying in that moment is just something that I can't even even fathom. And for you to have the strength to uh, and the courageousness to think of others in that moment is uh, is beyond commendable, and it's it's amazing, and it's obviously why we brought you on to talk to someone as amazing as you. So, can you tell us a little bit about that that part right there? So you've you you know so Riley, you understood that she was not going to be with you anymore. She was brain dead. So can you talk us a little bit, of, you know, through understanding first brain death, uh, how could this happen for such a beautiful child? And then, and then, you know, what gave you the inspiration to, to go ahead and talk about donation? Yeah, it was very hard. I have been fortunate to have really good relationships with a lot of doctors. We live in a pretty rural area and it's not just a doctor patient relationship, but it's people that are part of the community, they know us outside of the hospital level. And I knew that they were working their hardest to save her. And it took her 40 minutes to get uh, stabilized and her heart going again. And I've always been a fairly logical person. So I knew even though they got her stabilized, that 40 minutes is a long time to go um, while getting CPR the whole time but it's still a long time to go. And when we went to the bigger hospital, the doctor there was amazing. And he really sat down and he talked to us and he explained, hey, kids' brains are an amazing thing. And sometimes they can recover and sometimes they can't. And here's what it looks like. And here's what we're going to do. And he really laid it out very clearly, but with a lot of compassion that these are the different signs. and because certain things had happened. We didn't have to do all the tests, but he was happy to wait and give her the maximum benefit of time. And so we actually did, went through the whole protocol, even though because of circumstances, we could have skipped part of it. And at each step, they talked to us and they showed us exactly what they were looking at and exactly what the results found. And I think really just being walked through it in that way, where it was very clear, there, like I said, there was a lot of compassion. There was a lot of caring. There was a lot of discussion about what everything means at each step. And so it, it was a bit of a process to grasp it. And the doctor really helped just talk to us and make sure we understood it. And because we had that trust with all of our doctors, when they said that she was brain dead and there was no sign and they didn't believe that there was any chance that she would recover. Mm-hmm we were able to, I don't want to say accept it because it's never really okay. When somebody you love dies, you never really fully accept it, but to understand that we now had other choices to make. And so at that point with my history of being a widow, and I'd had a number of years to figure out grief and how I grieve and how hard it is to grieve the loss of somebody you care for it was easy for me to recognize that I wanted to save other people from that if I could. And my husband, Kyle, he actually became kind of my grieving person when my first husband had passed away. We were friends and he was my grieving support well before we became romantically involved. Um, 
and he had lost his dad. And so that's kind of where he had experienced grief. So we both knew that we wanted to help other people avoid what we were feeling in that moment. We knew she wasn't coming home with us, but maybe we can make it so some other families got to bring their loved ones home. I love that. Oh, I don't want to interrupt because your story is so powerful. And so, and the way you share your story with your words is beautiful. It, when we were reading um, over Riley's story, we were say at, we were just saying how you could take what you feel and put that in words. And so you also have a book that talks about your grief journey. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I never thought I would write a book. I tend to be very introverted. I don't like sharing, which is why it's funny that I'm on a podcast. You're so great at it. <laughs> well, thank you. Never tell. But I, I always just like to hold those things to me. And after losing my husband within, basically within about a three-year period, I lost my husband. I lost a 33-year-old cousin. That was about like a sister. I lost a grandfather. And then I lost Riley. And so it was this whirlwind of grief. Mm, heavy. Yeah. And I knew that where I was finding comfort was in reading other people's stories of, yeah, all the terrible stuff, but also how they managed to carry that grief on in their life and still have a good life. And so I felt that my story touched a number of different types of grief and different experiences. And that maybe if I could share it with others, I could use some of those really bad experiences in my life and turn them into something good for somebody else. And so I wrote a memoir called Boldly into the Darkness, Living with Loss, Growing with Grief, and Holding on to Happiness. You know, I have to tell you that, so when I saw that we were going to be interviewing you, I looked up your book and I've ordered it. I'm excited to, to read it because I'm like you. I think it's through other people's stories and experiences that helps me grow. I, mean, I don't know if you said it in your book or if you shared it with maybe us prior to this conversation, but grieving is the process of rebuilding a soul shattered by the loss of someone you love. Mm -hmm. And I just, that just struck home. I, I just think that's such a beautiful way to describe grief because it is learning to rebuild your life. Yeah, I think it took me a while to get there, but I, at the very beginning of my grief experience, I really thought you could go back to normal. I thought you could go back to the person you were before these losses and feel the same things you felt then and be the same thing you were back then. And what I learned was that's not really possible. No matter what the loss is, whether it's a spouse or a child or a relative or a pet or a job or any of these things you can lose, there's always a part that's going to change the person you are. And so rather than trying to keep looking backwards and going back and trying to be this person you used to be and never getting there, I wanted it to be about looking forward and about how you can learn to carry your grief because you're never really going to get over it. There's no getting over grief. You just have to learn to carry it and accept that this bit of sadness is always going to be a part of your life, but that doesn't exclude all the happiness that's available for you as well. You know, I've talk to, um, I work in family services, so I talk to families after donation occurs, and so many families say, oh, I want to help others, and, um, and, but you found this avenue to do it, 
with your book, your experiences, and your website. And then it sounds like your your that adventure is even leading into other um, avenues with younger people, putting the awareness out to donation. So, what what when was it that you decided? Or how did you just how did all this open up to be so much more to share Riley's story? and this gift of donation and how it's impacted your life? It really started locally. I was invited to speak as kind of a guest speaker for a group we have, again, in a really small town. We have 4,000 people in our town. And they were doing a series called Know Your Worth, which was basically where women who had some sort of trial or hardship could speak to a group of other women. Uh, It was all about promoting positive self-talk, positive image, recognizing that you can make mistakes, bad things can happen, and that doesn't have to define you. You get to choose who you want to be in the future. And this was about three months after Riley had passed, and they were wanting me to speak about that loss and my other losses. And that was the first time I really thought, hey, maybe my story can help. And I said, might as well, let's, let's give it a shot. And I think there were 10 people So it was a pretty small gathering and I had all my note cards put together and I talked and I talked and I talked and I answered questions and we interacted for about two hours. It was only supposed to go on for an hour. And I don't think I'd even touched half of my note cards that I had with different things I wanted to talk about. And I realized maybe I do have more. And these people have sat here twice as long as they had planned to, and they still have questions. And so maybe my story can help others. And then that just kind of led to the book and podcasts and working with Soda, where I'm a board member now, and sharing my story in as many different ways as I can to help as many different people as I can. So I know that you have your journey, and we had talked about that. Everybody uh, goes through grief differently. Um, So you mentioned you had young boys. Mm -hmm. Talk about their journey and how, while you're doing your own grief journey how you help them and how do we help them understand because they were so little. Yeah. When their sister passed away, they were just about six and just about three and having to tell them that she wasn't coming home was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And you could just see it shatter their little souls, which in many ways is so much worse than having it shatter your own. Um, and what I had learned about grief up to that point was that it's better to talk about it. It's better to give it an outlet. It's better to give it a name rather than just saying, Hey, it's okay. We really tried to encourage them and be like, it's not okay that she's gone. We can be sad about it, but we can also be happy and we can celebrate. And one of the ways we really encouraged them to celebrate her was through her memorial service. When their dad had passed, they were three and a newborn. And so we actually, I had made the decision then to keep them kind of away from the memorial service part of it. Um, But with their sister, they were old enough to be a part of it. And so what we decided to do, and I have no idea where we came up with the idea, but I'm so happy we did was we let them plan a good portion of it. So it was decorated in bright colors and there were daisies and there were flowers and there were Paw Patrol and Spider-Man and unicorn balloons. And we went to the balloon shop and I think we had, I don't remember how many balloons they requested. I think we had 
50 mylar blooms and a hundred <laughs> blooms on the ground. And we had a card station and with crafts and blue and glitter. And we had a bouncy house at her oh, memorial no, service. I love that. Oh. And so we still did the standard. My husband and I both talked our pastor and his wife sang songs. People wrote things on note cards that they could have buried with her. But because we had let the kids plan it, it was a arena that was safe for other kids to come. So the mm. number of kids there that were under eight was amazing. There were probably 30 kids there that came to embrace our kids and to hug them and to grieve their sister. And they all made these cards about how bad they felt about it. And they were able to talk about it while still celebrating her and doing the things they thought she would have liked to do if she had gotten a chance to grow up. That is just beautiful. I had to catch my breath for a minute. I know. You know, what came to mind for me is there is, um, his name is Dr. David Kessler, and he always says that um, we heal in community. And listening to your you talk uh you you mentioned so much community from the doctors at the hospital because you live in a smaller community yeah, where are you let's move there yeah. it sounds fantastic yeah. <laughs> and and then your family y'all healed and y'all were you're, you're you continue to heal in community and the way that you brought other children to a situation um, that could be very difficult for parents, and yet you made that inviting for the community to come all idea. ages. So I just, I, it takes me back to that We Heal in Community, and it, you've opened up your heart to a book, your story, to your life. And, um, and we're just so grateful that you're part of sharing that with us today. Well, thank you. And I, I really do believe that healing in community is important. And part of what setting the stage, I think, with the memorial service like that, all their friends knew what had happened to their sister. It wasn't something they had to be ashamed about. If they started crying, I saw other small kids comforting my children. And I had small kids say, I'm so sorry, your daughter died. And they don't sugarcoat it. I mean, it's very, usually very blunt language, but that community is there. And now my kids, as they're 10 and seven, they still have people to know and they still feel comfortable saying I'm having a bad day because I'm sad. I don't have my sister. And that I think has been hopefully a huge part in, in their healing journeys and it'll continue to help them because of course, as they grow and develop, they learn more about their own grief and have to kind of experience it in new ways. And so it's always a learning process, but hopefully having that community and knowing they can talk to us and they can talk to their friends and they can talk to their teachers about their loss will help them in the long run. And you're still helping them and you're helping other children. You mentioned Soda earlier. We've had them um, on the podcast before episode 119. Um, you hear the person behind Soda, but it's student organ donation advocates. And it's just a, a great organization. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it and why you love what they do and decided to become a part of that mission? Yeah, Soda, I was actually connected through the founder's mom. we bonded over our books. But once I heard about their mission, which is really to educate high school and college students about organ donation and to promote registration, uh, 
I recognize that that was something that I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had that education when I was in college. I wish I'd understood more. I've been an organ donor because I checked that box when I got my driver's license, but I didn't really understand the impacts that it could make either for the recipients or for the donor families. And on top of that, I knew I had two small kids that would be growing up in a community where they have a family member that's been an organ donor and having an opportunity where more people understand just the process and how much it can help us and how much, even though it helps us, we still have our own grief. I thought that was an amazing concept. So the more we can educate people at the high school and college level, then they can take that home and they can share it with their family members or they can share it with their friends. And it helps open the door, not just to organ donation, which is a great thing, but also to grief and loss and helps change our culture where one, we always want to fix everything. If people are sad, we want to fix them. We want to make it better and you can't fix grief. But also just, again, to continue to grow that community. Well, we actually uh, were fortunate enough to speak to the mom that you were talking about, how great, you know, again, a strong woman. I can imagine that the po- the powerhouse of moms right there. I uh, was thinking the same. Right? <laughs> Meeting of, of the minds. Yeah. And we talked about your strength earlier and the inspiration that you provided. I can't imagine anyone uh, more deserving of, I heard, a gift of um, of a parade that you'll be uh, joining in on in a few months. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and uh, how you were notified and how that makes you feel? Yes. Well, I've always loved the Rose Parade in Pasadena. And I've always thought it's amazing. I love plants. I love flowers. The fact that they make these floats look amazing. And after our organ donation experience, I started recognizing that, hey, there's a Donate Life float that's part of this Rose Parade. And they honor recipients and living donors and donors on the parade. And after Riley had become a donor, it really became something I just felt called to do. I thought, you know, this is a platform where I can really share our story. And I can share the fact that Riley was only three and a half months old and she was still able to be an organ donor. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes you think organ donors are people in their late teens or of a certain age. And that's not the case. Pretty much anybody can be an organ or a tissue donor. And so just raising that awareness, helping people understand that if you ever find yourself in a horrible situation, organ donation might be something you can consider. The Rose Parade seemed like an amazing platform to do that on. And so I'd been working with Soda. I became part of their board members and I reached out to them and I said, hey, I'd really like to bring Riley and honor her as a florograph at the Rose Parade. But I would also like to partner with an organization because I think the organizations that sponsor it, it can be really good just to get some more awareness. And Soda started in the Midwest. It's got quite a few chapters. I think we just passed over 50 chapters and the majority of them are on the Midwest and the East coast. And I thought the Pasadena is very, it's a national thing, but it gets a lot of attention on the West coast. And maybe we can both honor Riley and share Soda's mission and just spread awareness about organ donation. And so the sponsorship is fairly expensive. So we were actually able to fundraise the fee to be a sponsor to get Riley 
uh, honored on a fluorograph. And so when we made that line and we put in our application and we got the message that she was selected, it was a very emotional moment for me. Well, we um, have her picture up um, as we honor her for this podcast and um, she just makes us smile. She looks like she's smiling back at us. So, Miss Riley, um, you mentioned Soda. We can tell that you love that organization and we just wanted to let you know and our listeners know uh, that we have the first Soda chapter in Louisiana now. Um, They came on the podcast. We learned a little bit about it. Um, We love that family as well and so um, we too will be helping to support that mission here in Louisiana at New Iberia Senior High school. So we're excited. Great. Yes. Yes. So great. Thank you very much for all the support of it. So open invitation for you here on The Gifted Life as uh, you continue on your journey. Um, If you want to connect with Autumn, maybe learn a little bit more, maybe uh, join Nyla in getting a copy of her book, growingwithgrief.com, growingwithgrief.com. Miss Autumn, we appreciate you. Yes. Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate your time and everything you do and sharing information about organ donation. Here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, in this episode, we're going to be learning a little bit about learning and growing. Ooh. Oh, I like Wait, this. Wait, let me get my pen. Here okay. we go. <laughs> take notes. All right. So all you got to use is your imagination. So um, I'm going to tell you about schema. And, you know, we don't get to talk very long about this. So if you're really interested in this, y'all might want to go look it up. But How do you to, spell yeah, it? Number right. one. Number schema. one. <laughs> S-C-H-E-M-A. Got it. So I'll give you a little background, and then we'll just talk about it. Okay. But a schema is the knowledge structure that allows us to interpret and understand the world around us. Um, there is, a, it, back to Aristotle and Plato, they actually kind of came up with it, and then it just kind of grew from there in the 1970s and the 1980s. It took off. Um, y'all may have heard of Jean, I can't even say his name, Pia's. Piaget. Totally heard about it. Yeah, Piaget. Yes, Piaget. Yes. Um, So he came up with the cognitive development, um, which is cognitive science. So think about your brain and science. So that just kind of grew from there. But let's let's look at it like this. I think it's a neat way of thinking about how we take in new information, Mm -hmm. what we do with that information, and what we do moving forward. So Joey, you read to your daughter. Right. So mm-hmm. you read her a book. She's what? How old now? She'll be turning two this month. So she's little. So you show her a picture of a dog and you say, this is a dog. And she goes, dog. And you're, she's and, and you almost can watch her taking that in. So, I mean, that's her initial schema. So after that, she may see another picture of a dog and she'll start saying, oh, dog has ears dog has a tail and then so she is actually growing that schema she is assimilating that information so she's taking it into you can almost say a folder or you can think of like a bubble that's growing so she takes that information that a dog has ears a tail and looks cute and puts it into her folder or that bubble and it kind of gets thicker or it grows well then comes along a cat and she's like dog and joey's very nicely says no that's a kitty cat and or how would you say it that's a cat. As a cat. So the cat. <laughs> so then she's got to figure out: Does that fit into my schema of a dog, or do I have to like put a new, I don't know, folder or a new bubble and put cat into it? So she's gonna, she's gonna accommodate that new information and do something with it. So as we grow, we keep growing our schemas. We hope. But here's the thing: So 
how do you know something like you can see a little person thinking Mm -hmm. you really can right no like this morning I saw my daughter she fell we were walking the dog I have to walk the dogs with her every morning now which adds time (laughs) but then she fell she tripped and fell and so she tells her mom she says uh I fell she says fell mom and she said where and then she's thinking and you could see it just for a minute corner and it was at the corner of of the like our little road. <laughs> she's learning and she's trying to figure out how to put all this together. So like what does this mean for us? It means that as we go through life we hope to continue to learn. So let's think about we're learning so much now about cultures, about different um religions. I mean, like if you are really open to learning, then when new information comes your way, now I can tell when new information comes to Joey, he takes the Joey pause, right? Right. You just stop and you're thinking, Joey's thinking. Mm -hmm. Longer pause when you're thinking harder, shorter pause when you're like, hey, I got that information. I know how to answer that. Lori, you think fast. I don't know what how that works. Sometimes it doesn't go well for me, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, it's like a gut punch. I mean, I know when something hits me and I don't know what to do with that information. And so when I go, huh, or inside, I'm like, hmm, that means my schema, I hope, is growing. I'm trying to take that in and say, what am I going to do with this information? So if if I want to grow my schema, I really have to think about what that information that somebody's giving me. And I have to see if I'm going to be open open to taking it in or am I just going to not take it in at all? So uh, another example, my husband, he would be so mad if I told this story, but like he, he just, when he sees somebody driving poorly on the road, he tries to get next to him to see if it's a woman driving. I'm like, what is wrong with your schema? And he's like, I don't even know what that means. I said, it means you are not right. And um, so, but so he's going to love you. We are working on learning new words and how our brain works and how sometimes we have to take out old information. We have to assimilate, accommodate, but we have to take that information and figure out how to move it forward. And we do that all the time, Mayor. Uh, you know, I guess with our information about donation, taking it out into the community and talking to people who don't know about donation, who are scared of donation, who have myths about donation. So we are hoping that we are growing their schema with these beautiful stories like that we heard today. Um, they're powerful and they they help us. They help us all learn to be a better person, we hope, in this world that we live in. Yeah, and through donation, I try to, I say everybody has a different seat at the table, a different perspective when it comes to that uh, loved one's story. And so you try to put in your, putting yourself in other people's shoes yeah. and trying to go through that. So Exactly. Good. I, I grew and I yeah. learned. <laughs> yes. That's great. And I'm proud that you knew that Schema. scientist's name. Like that was, oh, Piaget. Yeah. yeah. That's all psychology oh, yeah. 101 right there. There it I is. And it. I can't say it. And I should know it. <laughs> I like it. Maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here at The Gifted Life? Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, I'm a female, 83 years old. Is there an age cutoff for organ donation or a disease cutoff? Good question. That is a good question. And the, and the, the easy answer is there's no absolute cutoff because everything is kind of a moving target as we grow and learn to take uh, a little little bit from Nyla. <laughs> See, we did earlier. learn, Nyla. So, so it's funny because I just had a conversation with our medical director, Dr. Paramesh, uh, this past week. We were talking about the different technologies and kind of which direction we might be moving in. Uh, he had gone to a different conference than uh, I had gone to. Well, we both went to different conferences at the kind of at the same time. 
and uh, and he was talking to me about uh, one of the the machines that was highlighted there uh, that that is allowing them uh, in South America, one of the countries in South America, to transplant easily transplant seventy eight to eighty five year old patients their livers, and it looks like it's a, a fifty to sixty year old. You know, wow. and, and because it's able to completely minimize any impact of not not schema, but ischemia uh, on on the organ. So lack of oxygen on the organ in between the transplant and the and the, the, the recovery and the transplant. So so as as all of this technology continues to improve, like this is always going to be a moving target. We're always getting to the next thing and the next thing. So, uh, so no, there's no absolute because we don't know what's coming around tomorrow anyway. You know what? I always tell people, age doesn't matter. Go ahead and register and tell your family because if my grandmother says, hey, you know, I'm a I'm an organ donor. That's really going to impact all her children and grandchildren down the line. So just that that it's, it's more about the intent versus outcome. And it's that intention that really makes a hero. Yeah, and I um, tell my folks, I said, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like, just listen to the podcast, all the changes uh, since we started the podcast. We're learning from folks uh, from across the country and, and amazing things happening right here in the state. So, great question. If you have a question, you can give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Riley Marie Jackson. This is a story shared by Mom Autumn. Riley Marie Jackson was born on July 15, 2018, and she was a gift from the beginning. Riley's young brothers could not get enough of her. They would take turns playing with her on the floor, admiring and talking to her. When she would grab onto their fingers, they would light up with excitement. Both boys took pride in taking care of their little sister. On one occasion, they pushed Riley around the park and gathered all the dandelions they could find. Riley smiled and laughed, her eyes lighting up with joy and wonder as she watched her brothers shower her with flowers. In October 2018, Riley got sick. While at the hospital, one of the nurses told the family that Riley means courageous. So they began calling her their courageous miracle and decided she loved butterflies and the color purple. While Riley's body began recovering, her brain did not. When the family was told that Riley was likely brain dead, they asked about organ donation. Her family wanted Riley to be a courageous miracle for others. On November 4th, Riley donated her heart, liver, and kidneys. She did something miraculous that day when she gave three other families hope. Organ donation did not take her family's grief away, but it did make it easier to carry. And now we pause and say thank you to Riley for the gift of life. And that'll do it for episode 198 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, you can register anytime as an organ, eye, and tissue donor at registerme.org. Also, a very special thanks to our guest, Autumn Jackson. First, what can you say about someone who turns all of those losses that she had 
the loss of her cousin, who she felt was like her sister, her husband just three short years earlier, and her daughter, into what most of us would, I mean, I would have been in a, a you know, in a fetal position after yeah. that. And instead, she's still thinking ahead. And thinking, helping others, Helping too. others, mm-hmm. thinking about recipients and saving others' lives. The things that she did with the memorial and bringing the community in, and and especially the pieces about kind of helping uh, her her children, her sons that were there grieving to grieve with other kids. It was just amazing. And then of course her paying everything forward with with uh, soda with with writing these uh, this beautiful book. What an amazing woman! Yeah, and more to come. I think. So great. The best place to find us, guys, is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are now on Pandora. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. And on social, you can like our page. Facebook, we're The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at gifted life pod we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen for one big team this is a production of the louisiana organ procurement agency or lopa the gifted life is hosted by Lori Steele, joey boudreau and nyla schwab our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>